amigos, and welcome to this, the bonus part of today's FYI, an episode on Las Vegas, a city that I've been to and I definitely want to go back to because, well, it's a city that's ever-changing. As I said before, it's a city that reinvents itself time and time again, Beth tras Beth. So let's look at some hotels and casinos because in the end, that's one of the things that defines Las Vegas. It's mega hotels. It's mega casinos. I mean, when I say mega, I'm looking for another word. Uh, Ginormous, maybe, is the right word. Ginormous hotels, ginormous casinos. I mean, mind-blowing. According to a figure I have here, figure Siendo Cifra, there are 150,000 hotel rooms in Las Vegas. And remember, some suites take up a whole floor or two. Una planta o dos. Remember Howard Hughes' suite, it took up two floors. And if you want to talk about opulence, if you want to talk about lavish luxury, this is Las Vegas and its hotels. But where did it all start? When did Las Vegas start this hotel business? Well, it started before gambling. There were hotels before gambling was legal because gambling, as we said in the first part, became legal in 1931. Well, the oldest hotel in Las Vegas is the Golden Gate Hotel in downtown Las Vegas, and it opened in 1906. That's right, 1906. But it's not the most famous ones. And I decided what we could do is highlight some of the most famous hotels and why they're famous. And we couldn't talk about Las Vegas hotels without talking about the Flamingo. The Flamingo, which was opened in 1946, briefly, it wasn't really finished, so they had to reopen it the following year in 1947. And this is that famous one. I'm sure you've all seen the sign before. Remember, we were talking about the neon before. We've got Vegas Vic. Do you know who that is? Vegas Vic is that cowboy, that famous cowboy neon sign. Well, the Flamingo was important not just just because of its sign, but it was also important because it was kind of the first one that really stood out there on the Strip. So it helped develop the Strip as an area for mega casinos, mega resorts. And before that, everything had kind of a Western theme. You know, everything was El Oeste, the gold rush. This, you know, everything was Wild West. And the Flamingo changed that. The Flamingo wanted to use a different kind of theming. They wanted to theme it more like Miami, like a tropical paradise. And it worked. Of course it worked. It was a huge success. And there's an urban myth around this because the Flamingo was one of those casinos that was run by the mafia. It was actually run by mobster Bugsy Siegel. And the myth, the urban myth, is that they named the hotel after his girlfriend, Virginia Hill, because she had long legs like a flamingo. But when I was researching, I realized that that doesn't make much sense because when they named the hotel the Flamingo, Bugsy Siegel wasn't on board yet. So the the Flamingo was definitely one of those mob-run casinos. 
and it was ritzier than the ones that had come before with that western theming this one was ritzy do you know the word ritz does it sound like a hotel the ritz well do you know that if something is ritzy is lujoso yeah that's uh, pretty good the hotel chain did a really good job in making their name into an adjective now another thing that brought tons of tourists and another boom in their boom bust cycle over here and this was the airport And the airport opened in 1948, and of course, that brought in tons of people. It brought an influx of people, both domestic travelers and international travelers, into Sin City. And I've been to many, many airports, but that is the only airport that I've ever been to that has slot machines. So while you're waiting for your flight, you can play some slots. How convenient. Another famous hotel was the Desert Inn. And this is a good word to know. An inn is a like posada. The Desert Inn. And this was the one, we already mentioned it a little bit because of Howard Hughes. This was the one that Howard Hughes was living in and they kicked him out and he decided to buy. But this one was also linked to the mafia, to Mo Dalitz. Now again, if you want to check out all these names and all these things, you can check out books based on it or you can just watch Casino and Casino is just an amazing movie if, if you haven't seen it it's it's a three-hour movie un poco largo right three hours but it is thoroughly entertaining and it's based on real people real things that happened and I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about what my grandfather had to do with that well, I remember when they were casting the movie. Casting as bus buscando los diferentes actores para los, los diferentes papeles. And my grandfather's a pharmacist, he was, and he got a, a little flyer in his pharmacy and it said, looking for 60, you know, middle, uh, elderly Italian men. I don't remember what the description was exactly, but we're looking for 60. He fit the bill. La expresión es, he fit the bill. Era perfecto para lo que pedían. And so he, he thought it was a scam even, I remember, because the paper was printed a little bit crooked, torcido el papel. He thought, well, maybe this is a scam. I don't know. But he said Warner Brothers or whatever. I don't remember the distributor. And he went. He got his assistant to take him to the audition. Remember, we don't call it a casting. We call it an audition. And there were thousands of people. I mean, think about that. The New York, New Jersey area full of Italian-American men and his age, of course. So a couple days later, my grandfather gets what we call a callback. A callback is when they call you and say, Oye, nos ha gustado. We want to see you again. And so now this is the interesting part. Only six people were called back for this role. So my grandfather was one of six people who was called back to read for this character. Now, do you know what the icing on the cake was? The icing on the cake is la guinda. Do you know who my go my godfather, no, no mi padrino, <laughs> estoy pensando en mafia. Do you know who my grandfather read for? He read for none other than the one, the only, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. My grandfather shared a room a table with these guys. Now, he didn't get the part, 
But I remember it was not only a highlight in my grandfather's life, but it's a moment that I'll never forget. Because my grandfather wasn't an actor. He was a pharmacist. But he was always performing. He was always entertaining, telling jokes. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) In fact, he would embarrass my grandmother when they went on cruises. He would get up on stage and sing with the the band. And now I guess you guys see where I get it from. Well, his name is... Alberto. So uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I always try and honor my grandfather every day. So that's my, my grandfather was almost in casino story. Or, you know what, it sounds better if I say, my grandfather met Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese story. Yeah, that sounds a lot better. I also told you I was going to tell you why Las Vegas was an explosive city. And it is explosive because you've got world-class entertainment, you've got amazing restaurants, you've got it all, really, in Las Vegas. But the reason I said it was an explosive city was because starting in 1951, the Nevada Proving Grounds opened up and they started testing nuclear weapons. And this was about 65 miles from Las Vegas. That's about 104 kilometers. So really, a stone's throw from Las Vegas. A tiro de piedra de Las Vegas. And they were testing atomic weapons right there. But you know what? The Las Vegans, they know what to do. They knew how to make the most of it. They knew how to cash in on it. Remember, we looked at that word in the money episode. To cash in on. Sacarle tajada. Didn't matter what was going on. You know, they're blowing things up in the middle of the desert. Come on, let's let's make some money off it. Let's sell tickets. And bomb detonations became a tourist draw. Algo que atraía los, las turistas. And it, it, now when you think about it, uh, you're thinking, um, that maybe that wasn't such a good idea. In the end, 235 above-ground tests were done during this 12 years that the Nevada Proving Ground was testing these nuclear weapons. So it became known as the Atomic City. I don't know who was in charge, but somebody wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Did, Did you get my joke? Charge, una carga, okay, horrible joke, horrible joke. But for 12 years, people were exposed to, not only willingly, they bought tickets to see nuclear bombs going off. Otra forma de decir estallar is to go off in the middle of the Nevada desert. And Vegas, well, they said, well, you guys want to come here and watch it? We'll set up uh, some refreshments and some seats. Enjoy. We call this being resourceful. If you are resourceful, you're always using the resources around you to do what you need to do. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! That's right, we can't talk about Las Vegas without talking about the world-class entertainment. And if you didn't recognize it, that was my horrible Elvis impression. (laughs) 
But Elvis, man, Elvis loved Las Vegas. Him and Las Vegas became synonymous. And that was because he uh, he did a show there between 1969 and 77, the year I was born. He played exclusively at the International, which was a hotel casino. Now, this was a total of 837 shows. And that was our buddy Elvis. These are called residencies, and they're very common in Las Vegas. They basically get a star, and they get them to work exclusively at their theater. You've seen this um, lately with Britney Spears. I know she was doing a residency. I believe Celine Dion. I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest performers in the world, and they perform exclusively at these hotels and casinos. So you might be thinking, wait, that's in the middle of the desert. Who's going to go there? A lot of people, and exclusively. And Elvis Presley was one of them. And lest I remind you, the Rat Pack. How could we forget about the Rat Pack? I mean, Frank Sinatra, we're talking about Sammy Davis Jr., some of the the greatest entertainers in the world on the same stage, and they played exclusively for many, many years over in Las Vegas, as well as magicians Siegfried and Roy. And one of the artists who popularized this was a pianist, un pianista, named Liberace, and he played tons of shows in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, and people would go there just to see him. So when you go to Las Vegas, make sure you make time for some entertainment because you will have a plethora of options of all different kind of shows, from music to Cirque du Soleil and so much more. And don't forget to save some room for a meal or six. One of my favorite things about uh, Las Vegas is not just the restaurants because you've got world-class restaurants. You've got some swanky restaurants run by celebrity chefs, some of the, the best in the world. But my favorite thing really is the Las Vegas buffets. You say buffet, we say buffet. I have never, ever seen buffets that big in my life. And we're talking everything you could ever think of, from crab legs, patas de cangrejo, to um, paella. Whatever you want, they've got it at the Las Vegas buffets. So what I recommend is you do a little bit of everything. You know, you do a, a buffet one day for lunch, and then the next day you go to one of their nice steakhouses or something like that. But uh, if you want to eat really well, there's no place like Las Vegas. And if you just want to pig out like me, well, there's also no place like Las Vegas. Oh, and before I told you about the Elvis connection, Elvis, Las Vegas, not only did he have the movie Viva Las Vegas, the song, and he did a residency there, but also he marries people every day. Well, no. Not him. Elvis Presley doesn't marry people every day, but Elvis Presley impersonators do. In fact, a, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, Ricky, uh, recently got married in Las Vegas by an Elvis impersonator. And I got to watch the whole thing live on social media. I have to say, 
It was awesome. I already told my wife, if we ever renew our vows, nuestras promesas, I think I want to do it in Las Vegas, and I want Elvis to remarry us. So it's known as Sin City, the city of lights, the gambling capital of the world, but it's also known as the marriage capital of the world. And at one time, it was the divorce capital of the world because it was the easiest place to get a divorce in the United States. Now, in Las Vegas currently, the figure I have here is there are an average of 315 weddings a day. Now, I imagine these are pre-COVID figures. 315 people tying the knot, casándose cada día. And one of the most famous places is the Little White Wedding Chapel. You can even do drive-through weddings. That's right, drive-through weddings. Do you know the word drive-through? I think you say autoservicio. That's right. You can be a slacker, un poco vago, and you don't even have to get out of your car to get married. Now, I don't recommend that. I recommend you at least do it with Elvis and you stand up because don't you want to dance and celebrate it? I don't know. That's, that's what I want to do. That's how I envision mine. And weddings aren't the only celebration in Las Vegas. You've got bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. Uh, those are despedidas de soltero o soltera. Uh, in England, they say stag parties and hen parties para el de la chica. But in the United States, we say it's a lot easier, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. So that's another big industry. Uh, you've got conventions, which is huge. Companies or industries have conventions down there. And I remember when I was down there with some friends, my friends invited me to go down to Vegas, and I went. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I drove there. And I'll tell you all about it. But the reason I was able to go there, and the reason I was able to go there for free, was because it was a convention. And my friend's company was working at this convention. So there's Las Vegas being resourceful again. You know, finding ways to market themselves aside from gambling. So it's also known as a convention center. In 2017... There were 19,767 meetings and conventions. That's almost 20,000 in 2017. And if you take a look at the convention center, the Las Vegas Convention Center, it's huge. It's like IFEMA, but even bigger. And then remember that each hotel has their own convention center. So it's a huge business out there. Because as I said earlier in the show, I'm not a gambler. I've never been big on gambling. It's not my thing. It's not my cup of tea. But Las Vegas is so much more than gambling. Now let's take a look at some of Las Vegas in pop culture. And some things, uh, some things put Las Vegas in a positive light, and some things put it in a negative light. Ocean's Eleven, for example, the movie with the Rat Pack that we talked about earlier, that movie, not the new one, the, the original one, that drew thousands, probably millions of people to Las Vegas who were curious because they saw it in the movie. One that had more of a, a negative impact on Las Vegas was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where Hunter S. Thompson, the author, takes a look at the underbelly, as I said before, the dark side of Las Vegas, which we're going to look at in a little bit. So that movie cast 
Las Vegas in, in a negative light. Uh, another one that made Las Vegas popular again, the Hangover series, Resacón en Las Vegas. It's another one that brought attention to Las Vegas. So no matter what, as I said, I don't even want to call it boom or bust because it's boom and then there's like a little, you know, lull. A lull es un periodo más tranquilo. And then there's another boom. But it's always growing. Next up, we're going to talk about some tragedy. And again, Las Vegas has found a way to bounce back from all of these tragedies. Some of the biggest tragedies in Las Vegas's history is the MGM Grand Fire. This was a huge hotel and casino fire. 1980, 85 people were killed. 700 people were injured, and it was a, a really a horrific accident. Uh, then a few months later, there was a fire at the Las Vegas Hilton where eight people were killed. You got to remember, when you have so many rooms, well, it increases the odds of things going wrong. Another thing that uh, marked our city uh, that we love, or I hope you love, or are growing to love, is the Thunderbirds crash. The U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, these are jet fighters, Gatha, and in 1982, there was a horrible accident where all four pilots who were flying in formation were killed right there near Las Vegas. Uh, more recently in 2017, if you remember, there was a horrible shooting, a deadly shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. There was a festival going on, and one guy went to the Mandalay Bay. Uh, he was on the 32nd floor, and with more than a 1,000 rounds of ammunition, he killed 60 people. He wounded 411 people. It was just, man, incredible. And probably one of the darkest days in Las Vegas's history. Even darker, darker than the mafioso days. Think about it. The mafia and the mob, they were just doing business. This guy's a wacko. And I just mentioned the Mandalay Bay. The Mandalay Bay is where this crazy guy opened fire on innocent people. Well, the Mandalay Bay, I remember, this is how I can look up when I was there. Puedo consultarlo. I was there the weekend they opened the Mandalay Bay. And as I said in the first part of the show, I met Michael Jordan and Bob Dylan. And when I say meet, I mean standing right next to them and just like I was the most starstruck I had ever been in my life. To be starstruck is, oh my God, that's Michael Jordan. Oh my God, that's Michael Jordan. But they were literally in touching distance from me. And it was incredible because it was a star-studded event. I had never been to a casino, uh, never mind the opening night of a casino. So I ran into two mega celebrities, Bob Dylan and Michael Jordan, who is an avid gambler. I remember saying to my friend on both occasions, pinch me because I think I'm dreaming. Now, as you know, there's a lot of vice in Las Vegas. I mean, you got drugs, you got alcohol. Uh, in fact, some people say that the casinos encourage drugs and alcohol because, well, how do you keep going 24 hours a day in a place that doesn't close, a place with no windows, with no clocks? Well, some people say cocaine 
is a good option. Uh, I myself, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing any drugs. I would recommend just getting high off the experience. But if you decide to go overboard and drink too much, well, uh, don't worry. Uh, hangover helpers to the rescue. That's right. There's a bus, uh, a bus, a guy who drives around on a bus, and it says hangover heaven on the side of the bus. And this guy will come to wherever you are. All you got to do is call him up. He will come there with a cure for your hangover. He's got all these IV fluids. IV is intravenous vitamins, and you should be feeling better in under 45 minutes. Can you imagine that? That could be a good thing, good business idea for Madrid once, you know, they open up bars and restaurants again, or Ibiza. You know, the hangover bus, it's called Hangover Heaven, and they'll come and they will cure you and get you ready for another night of partying. I also promised you I was going to tell you about the oldest slot machine, and the oldest slot machine is called the Lion's Share. It's located in the MGM Grand, which we talked about before, and the expression the Lion's Share is muchísimo, todo. No, el mejor pedazo, the largest portion of something. And it's a very appropriate name because the lion shares the oldest and last slot machine of its kind on the MGM gaming floor. They call it the casino floor or the gaming floor. Now, all the new machines, they have a different technology, but this is the last of the old school machines. And Nevada state law, la ley del estado, says that you cannot remove, remove es quitar, no remover, you cannot remove a slot machine from the casino floor until it pays out its jackpot. And Lion's Share has not paid out its jackpot. So somebody is going to win millions and millions of dollars on this slot machine. If you ever go to Vegas, try your luck. It's called the Lion's Share. And I hope you win the Lion's Share. <laughs> and you know what? It's so popular, it has its own Twitter and Facebook page. It's incredible. And as we wrap up, I want to take a look at a couple idiomatic expressions that we use that come from gambling. The first one is to up the ante. To up the ante means poner más en juego. So if you're going to up the ante, you could win more, but you could also lose more. And if you've ever played poker and you've sat down at a poker table or a blackjack table, there's a little square on the table that says ante, como la palabra en español, antes, pero sin la S. So to up the ante means poner más en juego. We need to up the ante, subir el listón. We want to put all our cards on the table. Toma, ahí tienes otra. To put all your cards on the table is to be honest, right? To say, okay, this is me, this is what's up. I'm not hiding anything. I'm going to put all my cards on the table. You speak English, you'll have an ace in the hole. And an ace in the hole, ace es un as, an ace in the hole is that. It's an advantage. Tienes una ventaja. Another idiomatic expression that comes from gambling is in the cards. If something is in the cards, está por venir. It's coming. 
No Dice. This is one that we looked at, I don't remember what episode it was in, but it was pretty recently. And No Dice means no way. No Dice. We looked at the word Dice before. It's Dados. And the last one, and I think this is my favorite because you guys know me. I love my alliteration. I love my rhyming. And it's Winner Winner chicken dinner ganador ganador cena de pollo and it rhymes winner winner chicken dinner and this comes from when the casinos had a full chicken dinner for two bucks por dos pavos you could get a full chicken dinner so people would say when they won winner winner chicken dinner and be careful with that word winner make sure you don't say wiener because wiener is salchicha o picha so be very careful it's winner not wiener and as we wrap up this episode of las vegas which i hope you guys enjoyed and there's so much more we could talk about we could just do an episode on the mob in las vegas i just want to remember the first moment i saw las vegas i was driving there through the desert as i said before i was living in west hollywood in california and there i was driving through the desert in the middle of nowhere i literally saw nothing for hundreds of miles i even remember a sign that said if you don't get gas now you will run out last chance no si no pillas petróleo ahora te vas a quedar sin ello esto es tu última oportunidad like there's not going to be a gas station for hundreds of miles and that's what you get leading up to las vegas so you're going from hollywood a mega populated city and you're driving out there and there's nothing and there's nothing you just feel like i'm not going anywhere and then I remember it so clear. I remember coming up over that hill in the desert, the Mojave Desert, and there it was in front of me. It was huge, a mirage, I would say, un espejismo. I couldn't believe my eyes. There was a sea of color, and it was just a beautiful thing that was calling me, saying, come here, I promise you're going to have a good time. And you know what? Las Vegas was right. She welcomed me, and I had such a wonderful time, and I can't wait to go back. I hope you guys enjoyed our little trip to Las Vegas on this week's FYI. <laughs>